0: God speaks to us in his word. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase them. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together, bind their faces in the world below. Then will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Janelle. Job is uh, the book that we're in. And a lot of you guys, uh, like me, you've grown up in church, and or you've been to church, or because you live in this part of the world, you know about church, you know church language and church stuff, you know church stories. And Job is one of those stories that's like, you might have heard about growing up, but it's not like David and Goliath. Nobody had like you know, felt board with a bunch of figurines on the board and cartoons from VeggieTales or whatever telling the story of Job. Job is a crazy story. This is a man who the Bible called blameless. Now that is not a term that the Bible used for, to describe a lot of men. They didn't call him sinless because Jesus is the only one that was ever sinless. But they called him blameless and Which means that he was on earth, like righteous before God. He served God, knew him, cared, worshipped him, offered sacrifices. He, he offered sacrifices to God on behalf of his children in case they sinned in their heart against him. So like, if they had a bad thought about God, he was offering sacrifices just to cover that. This dude was. Blameless man. Nobody could blame Job for anything. God blessed him. He had he was the wealthiest man in the entire world. And this bizarre, weird story that we've been walking through for several weeks, we're about to finish up. God allows the accuser, Satan, to tempt Job and to take away everything that he's ever gotten. And I mean everything. I mean, imagine the richest man in the world in the ancient Near East would have owned lots of goats and camels and weird stuff like that. That would have been a measure of his wealth, but also sons and daughters and houses and land. And Dude, Job was the richest. There's two rounds of... God allowing the accuser to take from Job. The first round was taking everything that he owned. Camels died. And while the guy was, while the messenger was talking about all the camels dying, before he could even finish with letting him know, another guy comes and says, Hey, your house blew down. And before he could finish, another dude comes and says, all of your, animal, all your crops, they've all been eaten up by locusts. This all happened in a matter of seconds. Everything the man had, all of his material. And it's like, well, at least I've got my health. Oh, nope, here comes round two. God allows Job to be tested even his health. He said, don't kill him. Test him. Job loses his health. He's got boils all over his body. and one of the most like descriptive moments in the Bible, to just let you know how far this man has come, he, had to, he didn't have anything. He have, had to find a broken piece of pottery to scrape the boils off his arm. This is blameless. If you ever worried about whether or not karma was real, what goes around comes around, that Job, just puts that to bed. He was blameless. Or if you have this American evangelical ideal that if we vote the right way, or if we look the right way, or sing the right songs, or do whatever, then God will bless our country, Job puts that to bed. He was blameless. (laughs) His friends come around, Job and his friends, they start to just like figure out what is going on. 37 chapters of Job and his friends just trying to like conjure up, man, what is God doing? Who is God? And they're asking the question that you ask, the question that I ask. The simplest form is why do bad things happen to good people? But the deeper form is this. How should God run the world? That's what Job's asking. If God is both both all-powerful and all-knowing, how can he be all-loving as well? Sovereign God and loving God. And notice I said this. They're asking the question that you and I both ask, which is how should God govern the world? And the question that we should be asking that is at the heart and the point of Job is not how should he, it's how does he run the world. Because how should he, that one word denotes that I have an agenda and if I were actually able to get this thing for a minute, I would set some things straight. God would be like on PR heaven. (laughs) People would like him more. If I could just run the world, just kind of like, change some things about God, then everybody could have their own sexuality, no matter what. No rules about that. You can marry whoever you wanted to. God wouldn't care. I would say yes to the things I want to say yes to depending on my emotions for the day and no to the things I don't want to say yes to depending on my emotions. If I could run the world. Job and his friends are constantly talking this way. God's been silent for 37 chapters, and last week God shows up in chapter 38. For 37 chapters, God had a name. His name was El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. He is very much El Shaddai. And then when God shows up on the scene, his name changes to Yahweh which means God of covenant. So now we have personal, covenantal God showing up. He's still El Shaddai to confront Job. And this is not a cute moment. God very much puts his arm around Job, but he is telling him straight up in confrontation exactly what he does to run the world so that Job can know and so that Job can shut up and worship. That's where we are today. Today, we're going to see the confrontation full on, and we're going to learn about darkness and how God governs darkness. So the first is this. God confronts Job. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me? That you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like His? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and obeys Him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring Him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. Not a cute moment. This is confrontation. But like we learned last week, confrontation, God confronting us is actually God's kindness towards us. Job had this idea of reality, and he debated what it was. It probably changed a hundred times in 37 chapters what Job thought was real. And the best thing that could happen to Job is happening now, and it needs to happen to you and me today, is that we are confronted with the reality of reality. God himself is reality. We can't base reality off anything else. Nothing else is real outside of him. He invented everything. You understand? He's all-powerful. Our own realities, the idea of you having your truth is absurd. There is truth, and then there is not truth. God himself is absolute truth. So when we stand face-to-face with God, all of our crazy ideas, all of our own crazy truths and realities, they come to an abrupt stop. This is what happened to Job. Job's idea about the world, how it should be ran, or what's happening to him, and how they just kind of talk back and forth about what God could be doing, or what did Job do to, to somehow earn this disrespect from God. All of your ideas about reality, about the way life should be, or whatever, man, they come to an abrupt stop when you hit up against Yahweh. He is reality. God comes to Job in his kindness, and he asks him, by giving him a healthy dose of reality, he asks him questions that he's asking us today. Can you run the universe? Are you strong? Be honest. Are you infinite? Are you wise? Are you wise enough to call balls and strikes for good and evil? are you able to bring the proud low god opposes the proud where is your glory where is your splendor do you have what it takes to stand against the armies of darkness in this universe when he asked are you able to bring the proud low it's particularly interesting here because the very notion of questioning god at all is the height of pride. Proverbs gives us tremendous insight into what our posture should be with regards to knowledge. With regards to knowing, it says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This idea floating around the world that God would be better off if he just, like, took some cues from me. That is all over the world right now. People have their idea of how God should be, what he should do, what he should say yes to, what he should say no to. And guess what? When you boil it down, it just looks an awful lot like you and me. And it's not a new thing. Remember the story of the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve... They were given everything, partake of everything, God said, except this one thing, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent comes to them, the great serpent, and he says, did God tell you not to eat of that tree? He's lying. He just knows when you eat of it, you'll know what he knows. You'll be like God. That is the lie throughout the entire state and history of humanity. And the Bible calls it the lie. It doesn't say that was a lie. It says that was the lie. The great lie of mankind that you can be God. You can know what he knows. You can put your stretch out your arm like God and say let there be light. You can't. That's the lie. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Job and his friends and us, we all fall into this trap because this is what the fall is. Adam and Eve fell. And because of that, the ground is cursed. And we live in this perpetual lie, this broken, cursed world, because of the fall that you can be as God. We keep constantly having to come back to of that God is confronting Job and now God's about to confront and educate Job this is one of the most debated parts of the Bible that we're about to jump into now it is um, it's a portrait was well, two portraits actually two really interesting and weird names behemoth and and Leviathan. God is about to tell Job something he knows but doesn't know fully. The extent of evil and chaos in the world. Behemoth and Leviathan. Verse 15 through 24. Behold, God is speaking. Behemoth which I made as I made you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold, his strength is in his loins and his power in the muscles of his belly. He makes his tail stiff like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze and his limbs like bars of iron. He is the first of the works of God. Let him who made him bring near his sword. For the mountains yield food for him Where all the wild beasts play. Under the lotus plants he lies. In the shelter of the reeds and in the marsh. God knows everything about him. For his shade, the lotus trees cover him. The willows of the brooks surround him. Behold, if the river is turbulent, he is not frightened. He is confident, though Jordan rushes against his mouth. Water, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, water represented chaos. And so when you see God talking about peace in the water, turbulent waters, he's talking about just the chaos of the world. He says about Behemoth, Behold, if the river is turbulent, if chaos surrounds him, Behemoth is not frightened. He is confident, though Jordan rushes against his mouth. Can one take him by his eyes or pierce his nose with a snare? terrifying creature there's been different opinions about what behemoth and leviathan actually are some would say behemoth is a hippopotamus which is feels a little reductionistic i'm not sure that a hippo can like take on the gravity of this moment ancient eastern mythology although hippos are crazy man don't mess with them just fyi but this is not a hippo Ancient Eastern mythology would have had behemoth as a terrifying creature. Like, imagine the most visceral evil. That's behemoth that represented the strength and power of evil and chaos in the world. That's behemoth. And there's another one, Leviathan, even scarier. God says this, Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many pleas to you? I'll stop there for a minute. Job has already talked about Leviathan, chapter 3. He talks about how he shouldn't even talk about it. How scary Leviathan is. Leviathan was the evil of evil out to destroy this kind of sea monster that could dwell on land and the sea. He represented the chaos of the water. You know that moment in your life when you just get the sense that something's in your room? You ever thought that? That darkness? In those dark places of the earth? Makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck? That happens to everybody. Leviathan is the representation of that kind of dark evil that makes us catch our breath and just go, what in the world? There's something happening here that's not physical. God says about Leviathan, will he speak to you soft words? Will he make a covenant with you to take him for your servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird? Or will you put him on a leash with your girls? Will traders bargain over him? Will they divide him up among the merchants? God is asking Job, Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Rhetorical questions, Job knows the answers to. God says to him, lay your hands on him and remember the battle. You will not do it again. Behold, the hope of a man is false. He is laid low even at the sight of him. No one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me? Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. This is Yahweh, El Shaddai. Even the darkness trembles under Yahweh. This Leviathan is more terrifying than the behemoth. And both these creatures are more than what a simple explanation can do. Simply tried to explain, scholars would say, well, this might be a hippo and a crocodile, but I grew up in Louisiana, and crocodiles are a little more docile than this too terrifying for words, and represent the most visceral evil known to man. God comes to Job, and he puts him face to face with seemingly untouchable evil, that thing that makes your skin crawl. You know there's stuff going on beside and outside of these walls and outside of this physical world. It's kind of the evil that changes the game and... And we come to realize in the middle of that, this is not a game at all. It's that darkness, but it's also like what leads a man subtly, one small lie after another, leads a man to addiction and ruin. It's also the darkness that comes when we experience death, especially death of a family member that didn't know Jesus. My heart's with you. It's hard to reconcile that kind of death, that haze that comes over you. That's just death is the tyrant, feels like an intruder in the room. Our life, our mind cannot comprehend what kind of brokenness and craziness this is, this death. Interrupts our good day. Behemoth is more than just some animal somewhere. Behemoth represents something for us. Behemoth is death. Leviathan is more than just a crocodile. Leviathan represents something to us. Leviathan. Is Satan the evil one? God says this, Behold, the hope of a man is false. He is laid low even at the sight of him. When God questions Job, He's asking him and He's asking us the same question today. What are you going to do about death? What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about Satan? What are you going to do about your sin that ties you to Satan and ties you to death? Because here's the reality, man, listen to me. There are healthy people in the room. I am not one of you. I'm jealous. There's healthy people in the room. You run 20 miles a day. That'd be a lot, but you run 20 miles a day. You drink wheatgrass. You had not had a carb in 35 years. You're managing it, man. You are doing it. You will die. And you don't know when. There are other non-healthy people in the room. Don't really care much. It's possible that you outlive the healthy people. Some of y'all said yes and amen. You're going to die. The healthiest people who have ever lived in this life in the history of the world are dead. The richest people, before our time, unless they're alive today, the richest people who could pay for every doctor, every procedure, had more money than they knew what to do with, including Job. He lost his health. They are dead. Death is that great immovable equalizer, you will face it. All this debate about what happens after death, what comes for us during death, man, God comes as Yahweh, and He says, He brings reality into the room. He's the only sane one in the room today. He brings reality straight to us and He says, behemoth is real. It's what you are terrified of, death. Death is subject to my wisdom. Death has to bow down to me, God says. That great equalizer has to bow down to God. How about Satan? The reality of Satan is real, man. You might try to think about God in your own image or your own way, or you try to portray him in this way where he's just kind of your homie. And Jesus is Jesus because we can kick it or whatever it is. Jesus talked about hell more than anywhere else in the Bible. He is Yahweh, you understand? El Shaddai, God Almighty. It's reality hits us. Ephesians 6 says, For we do not battle against flesh and blood, but against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's a moment that all of us would say that we want, but when it comes, man, when we're face to face with the reality of death, And evil, it's hard to swallow. We like to shake our fists at God. We like to flippantly and casually in an acute way, we like to say, if you just would do things the way that I think you should do them. And then God comes and says, I hear you. I love you. Let's talk about death. Let's talk about Satan. What are you personally going to do about those? Can't do anything. Humanity itself shakes an angry fist at God. It places its demands at his feet and puts God on trial, like Job did. Job put God on trial and shakes a fist at God and puts his demands at his feet. And we do this right now in this room. And also death did it, and Satan did it as well. It demands shaking their fists at God. And we demand answers for things that we don't know anything about or have any authority to question in our life. People with their unchecked egos, me included, come to a conclusion that we are entitled to know it all. We are entitled to oversee it all and have authority over it all. And God should be a little more like me. The great Leviathan, Satan himself, the serpent, the creature of chaos. Leviathan was on the sea and the land. He had to have harpoons against Leviathan. He was the creature of chaos, the sea chaos. The great Leviathan makes us think that we can have it all with no... Consequence on ourselves or the world. It's a terrible lie. Coming face to face with behemoth and leviathan, death and Satan, it demands a response. Coming face to face with Yahweh demands a response. And we do get a response from Job. Here's Job's response, and it's fitting. Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I do not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you, By the hearing of the ear. But now my eyes see you. Therefore I despise myself. And repent. In dust and ashes. Job responds the way that he should have. With humility and repentance. He cannot escape reality. He's only heard of Yahweh. Now he has seen him. And reality in and of itself was found in a person God. Job responds how he should. God has a response. God responds to Job with grace. We'll learn about um, after Easter with grace more than he ever imagined or deserved. He responds to Job with grace, but he responds to behemoth and leviathan with power, with strength. And authority the way that God should. But there's another response that Yahweh responds with when it comes to death and Satan. Yahweh responds in weakness, he takes on flesh, he's born of a virgin. Jesus. And he was spit on. And he was crushed. And he stared down death. And he stared down Satan. God the Father sends God the Son. Yahweh in the flesh. In full weakness and humility. To stand up against and stand off against Satan, sin and death. This is the ultimate response. Weakness, humility. That's power. That's Yahweh. That's El Shaddai. Arms stretched out on the cross, pierced for our transgressions. My goodness. And when he did that, he did what only Yahweh can do he put shame to those authorities. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He, Jesus, Yahweh in the flesh, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame By triumphing over them in him. Behemoth and Leviathan, he disarmed. Jesus comes as Yahweh in the flesh. He spent his life in ministry casting out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead, and standing on the neck of Behemoth and Leviathan. When they talk about Jesus, they say things like, even the demons submit to him. When they talk about Jesus, they say things like principalities, they know him, they believe that he's the son of God, and they shudder. When Jesus walks around, he encounters people like the demoniac in Mark, who runs out that everybody was afraid of in chains, he's possessed by thousands of demons, he runs out to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't even have to say a word. The demoniac comes toward Jesus, and he says, "Son of God, what are you doing here? Too early." He thought he had more time. He said, "Please, if you ca- don't cast us back into the pit, these are this is Leviathan in the flesh." visceral, darkest kind of evil that says, God, please don't come at me. Scared. Death. When Lazarus died, his friend, Jesus knew that he was going to die again. He's proving his power to his friend. He wept, and then he goes and raises Lazarus out of the, the grave. Behemoth and Leviathan. Finally, this story that just catches me, man. You know the story about Jesus walking on water. Why is, you ever think, why did Jesus walk on water? Is that just some weird flex by God? I mean, that would be a good one. Nobody had ever done that before. Water is chaos. Monster of the sea, Leviathan, is the evil one. Jesus is with a crowd of people, and he leaves the crowd. He sends his disciples out on the boat into the sea. He goes and prays. And a great storm comes against the boat, and disciples are freaking out because it is chaos. They're on chaos. There's chaos around them. There's a storm, a whirlwind, and out of the whirlwind, out of the storm, comes Jesus, Yahweh. He calms the storm. He simultaneously, as he walks on water, Jesus himself is rescuing disciples, calming the storms of chaos like Yahweh did in Job 38 out of the whirlwind. And then he's also putting Satan under his feet. El Shaddai, God Almighty. Yahweh. Jesus is God. There's only one way, man, to stand up to behemoth and Leviathan. There's only one way. It's through Jesus. You have no chance outside of Him. Our response today is like Job. And humble ourselves. It's like the disciples who, after the storm, they said the phrase that needs to be our phrase of life truly, you are the Son of God. So I'm going to invite you today. Typically, we start to check out a little bit right now. I'm going to invite you, man, to check in a little more, maybe. There are lots of people in the room. That are like Job. You've been to church a thousand times. You've done church a thousand times man. You are like a good American Christian person. But like Job. You'd heard of God. But now God's trying to open your eyes to see him. And it is likely. That there are multiple in the room. That have been to church a thousand times. Know all the language. Know all the stuff. But have never laid down their life. And surrender to Yahweh, to Jesus. I want to invite you, give your life to Him today. Give your life. Be saved today. Trust Jesus today. He stands against death, He stands against Satan. And the good news is man, I love that we're preaching this before Easter. He is victorious over them, He's victorious. He's your only hope. Come, give your life to him today. Multiple others that maybe know God, but we just have forgotten how good he is and how powerful he is. Come remember. We're about to remember together. Look down at your chair on the floor. You've got little communion packets. If you're a Christian in the room, if you're a Christian, I want to invite you to take this table with us today.